Hello, welcome to In the Kitchen with Brett Thorne, a podcast by Restaurant Hospitality. I'm your host, Senior Food and Beverage Editor, Brett Thorne. I'm here in New York and everybody's talking about, oh, everything's back. Things are back. They're back. And uh, everyone's very excited to be going out, uh, eating and drinking and having fun and throwing parties. I went to the fancy food show, I guess, last week, last week, and uh, walked around the floor, saw a bunch of uh, new dates. Dates are apparently trending these days, and, and there were a bunch of parties, as there always are, associated with the fancy food show. Uh, I went to a dinner at Valata, which is a relatively new restaurant by Tom Colicchio, who was launching his own pasta sauce line called the Colicchio Collection. So we had dinner and tried all of his sauces. I went to the Ovo at La Devozione, which is, well, La Devozione is a sort of a trattoria, a casual-ish Italian restaurant in Chelsea Market. But the Oval is this 30-seat, fine-dining sort of chef's counter where we were fed a seven-course tasting menu, pretty much all pasta, except for the dessert, because they didn't go crazy. I guess they could have done a pasta dessert, but they didn't. Uh, And and in general, there's this feeling of... uh, I don't know, I guess things coming back to normal, which strikes me as as kind of weird since everybody is woefully understaffed. They can't get the products that they want. Everybody's flights as they travel are getting canceled for a bunch of reasons, a lot of which has to do with the fact that that, uh, they can't find pilots or flight attendants. You know, you know all, all of this stuff that, that makes us feel that even though a lot of people are vaccinated and are much less concerned about getting really sick from COVID than they used to be, that I don't know if, if this is normal, we need to kind of work on making something less normal, finding, finding a new way to figure out our stuff. I don't know, you all know uh, the same problems that I know, and more so if you're restaurant operators, which a lot of you are, that getting uh, getting anything these, done these days is, is so much harder than it used to be. And so for that reason, uh, the, there is opportunity for people outside of the, the traditional big foodie cities to to really spread their wings and try new things. And sometimes they can gild the lily in a way that we haven't seen in a while. So even though it's hard to get things and you can't find staff, and it's hard for people to get to your restaurant, and inflation is out of control, and nothing seems to work... Chefs and restaurant operators, as they always do, seem to to find a way somehow. So it's appropriate that my guest for this episode is Andrew Black, who is a Jamaican-born chef who has made Oklahoma City his home. He has two restaurants, Gray Sweater and Black Walnut. Uh, he was a semifinalist for the... James Baird Foundation Awards this year, and he serves involved, elaborate tasting menus that you might not expect to find in Oklahoma City. Uh, And if that's your feeling, I think uh, Andrew Black would say, get out more, come to Oklahoma City, try his food. He has a water list with water from nine different countries, and he gets people to pay Dozens of dollars for a bottle of water. People are into it. I think he has some very interesting observations about what is going on uh, all over the United States in in terms of creativity and adjusting to these times. And I really had a great time talking to him, and I hope that you have a great time listening to our conversation. 
here is Chef Andrew Black. Um, and so, and gray sweater is a, a tasting menu, only one seating fancy. Yeah. So let me, yeah, let me give you a little about gray sweater, right? Mm -hmm. So you might wonder, what's the name? Where's the name gray sweater comes from? Well, I've worked in corporate for so long and everybody always tell you, oh, I want the best. But when you get to the best and you're out there a little, they're like, no, nah, you're too out there. Mm -hmm. So I knew I wanted to cook or open somewhere without boundaries and barriers. And so for me, gray made a lot of sense. What is gray? Is gray black? Is it white? What is it in between? No one knows. So for us, a gray sweater, gray has no allegiance. Therefore, we have no allegiance to the food or the cocktail in the room. So no matter how much you love a dish, our goal is to move on from it. And the sweater just really represent the warmth of the service. Because at the end of the day, the food has to taste good. The cocktail has to be fantastic. But at the end of the day is how we made you feel. Did we make you feel a special way? Were you warm? Were you felt at home? And so that's important for us. The gray sweater is a concept where we source ingredients from around the world seven days a week. It never ends. And so... We have three-tier menu, five, seven, and 10. 
they're all built in separate emotion, meaning each one tell their story. Um, we're not the restaurant where you go in and some dishes okay and some is not because how we build our menu, we it's like building a CD and album. So each dish is composed on its own. And then we formulate which song is going to play first. So which course is going to come first, which course is second. So you're getting hits off the hits of the hits because that's how we write all the menu. Um, dinner lasts two to three hours. There's a reservation. There's no menu. When you, you come in the room and leave the room, you will not see a menu or get a menu. You sit down and you choose based on the course, how many dishes you want to have. When, we, when you make a reservation, we call and we interview you for five minutes first. What is the journey you want to create? Where was the last restaurant you eat that excite you? Just those little things that gave us insight to the guests, you know? So it's very personal. Um, we're, you know, in less than five years, we have got a James Beard nomination, so that's great. Um, we were just keeping our head down and working, didn't know it would even happen. So we're grateful for that. Um, we have won Best Chef in Oklahoma twice already. So, you know, we're just, we're just grinding it out, to be honest. <laughs> so what, uh, how, how much is it going to cost me to eat at Gray Sweater? What's the, the, the minimum price that I'll be spending at your lovely restaurant? <laughs> so, you know what? Let me hold a second because I want to make sure you're getting the correct price right here. So we can do the wine pairing, which is you can do three tier wine pairing, right? Mm -hmm. um, you can do the silver, the platinum or the gold. And so when you sit down, when you sit down for a 10 course uh, silver wine pairing, you're looking at fifth at bear me a second. Hold on. Here we go. So a five course meal costs you $97 without tax and gratuity. The seven course costs you $137 without tax and gratuity. And the 10 course call you costs you $187. That's without tax and gratuity. If you choose to do a silver wine pairing, you're looking at $60. A gold wine pairing is $100. And a platinum is 150. So that's what you're looking at, basing what you want to do. And you don't have to author the pairing with a wine or anything. You can do a cocktail pairing, you can do a water pairing, or you can just order by the glass, because we do have a water menu that extends over nine different countries. You have you have <laughs> nine different waters. Oh, yeah, we have. In fact, look at this one I'm drinking right now. This is my favorite. I don't wait, hold on. Let me see if you can see me. There you are. Okay. Yeah. This is one of my favorite. The Volomont. And, and so since you're holding it, tell us about that water. What do you like about it? So, so this is a natural mineral water, right? Mm -hmm. It's as clean as it gets. And so I love the really cleanness about it. I love the refreshing about it. But more than anything, you get a little hint of sweetness in this water. Uh, just really, really, really good water. And, you know, what I love about this is how they also, the advertising they do in this water, it's like they really spend a lot of time on the details, telling you the story. And I'm a detailed person, a story person. So this, this is nice. We have the bling. We, we have water, the queen's water, just a lot of different water in this room. The funniest thing, though, is that once when I brought the water menu, to Oklahoma City, everybody's like, nobody's gonna do that, man. Are you out of your mind? I tell you what, we sell water in this room like there's no tomorrow. And <laughs> in and Oklahoma. I, I don't I don't want to get too involved in pricing, but what is the price range of your of your different water bottles? It start out at 10 and go all the way up to $60. So a bottle of water is 60 bucks. You can get one for six, but you can get one for 10 and you can get for 20. Right, right. No, it's it's the 61 that is remarkable. But, you know, it's it's funny because people really get sometimes annoyed when they hear about a water sommelier. These people come up every once in a while, uh, usually right. in Oklahoma City, usually in New York <laughs> or Los Angeles. Um, and people say, oh, well, that's ridiculous. But people are into it. 
Some people are into it. Yeah. Listen, people are into this, you know, so we get guests that travels from all over the world come here. And I tell you what, we have a lot of guests that will email us and said, hey, can you email me your water menu? Like they're traveling to even have our water menu. And so here's where it came from, right? Because this has been around all over the world. Wait, I didn't create this. This is just no. something, you know, you go to Europe. You go, well, I used to work at the Ritz in Paris for a while. And when you sit down, the first thing they talk about is their water. And I've always said, why are we not doing that? So when the opportunity presented us, it made sense for us to do that. Yeah. So you're in Oklahoma City, which has not yet made it on the map as one of the culinary centers of the United States. <laughs> I will get it on the map, though. Remember this conversation, okay? I will get it on the map. <laughs> but, I mean, congratulations in advance on doing that. But in a way, I would think that that actually allows you the freedom to try different things. Because if you're in one of the big food cities, if you're in New York or Chicago, Los Angeles, San Francisco, you have all the media looking at you. You have everybody judging everything you do. Whereas right. in, in a smaller community, you really are allowed, I think, you're given the space to do more, to experiment more, to try your own things. Do you, do you think that's true? Well, you know, here, here's, to answer your question, here's the thing. Not until you've really been to Oklahoma, you'll understand what the food maker down here. Because it's more affordable to live, we have a lot of great chefs that have moved here and opened up great restaurants. And I often say this, every restaurant you can find in New York, you can find some caliber of it in Oklahoma City. Um, I'm not the only one doing great. There's a lot of other great chefs here, and a lot of other great restaurants. And so... I think what's going to happen, and I know this is going to happen, a matter of fact, the first person to put Oklahoma on a big stage where restaurants are concerned or food is going to crown king. Here's why. Because it's such a hidden gem. And once the world know about it, it's like it's a game changer. Um, when it comes on to doing something freely, I, you know, I think what it is is that everyone's in Oklahoma. Most people in Oklahoma travel all over the world and eat all over the world. So we, we are on a stage as if you're in New York, so to speak, because every locals judge us. And now there's so many people moving here from California, from New York, from everywhere, Chicago, everywhere because of the pandemic. So we're even being judged more. So this is not a state now where it's just the norm. It's like the more beautiful the restaurant is, the more creative the food is, the more story it is, the more flamboyant the chef is. It's like we are now on that big stage, so to speak. So it gives us access and it gives us freedom either way to really express ourselves. That's cool. Well, and coming from uh, not a huge city, I, I grew up in Denver. So Colorado shares a border right. with Oklahoma, a little one. Yeah. And now Denver and they're big on food. They're well, big now, food. now, but not, yeah. when I, not when I was growing up. But right, also, right. you know, Denver wasn't a huge cultural center, which meant that unlike in New York, where you can spend all your time just keeping track of what's happening in New York, in Denver, and I'm sure this is also true in Oklahoma City, you know what's happening in your hometown. You know what's going yeah. on. New York, San Francisco, Los Angeles, Paris, London, maybe Tokyo, depending on what you're interested in, Hong Kong. Right. So you can actually, sometimes you're even more cosmopolitan because you, you can, you, you have the, the time to explore beyond the confines of your own city. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we do because, you know, it's, I remember watching this thing with, um, with Daniel Hume, right, from 11 Madison Park. And I remember him giving a speech. He said he knew once he wanted to be in the, the best chefs in the world, a top 50. He went and he didn't get number one, but he said, what do we need to do to get number one? So they spent a lot of time looking at everything else in the world. You know, they went out and buy the same plate. Again, knew this, they did all of that because they wanted to be number one. Well, for us, as you said, we have the time and spend the time just looking around the globe to always raise in our game, to know the newest trend, to create our own destiny. So again, we're on this path in Oklahoma where the moment has been discovered from in a big way 
it's like all the gloves are off. And I think we're, and I, people always said to me, what is next for Oklahoma? I tell you what is next. We're growing so fast. There's more restaurant opening every month than you can think of. So what's going to happen? There are going to be a lot more cultural people move here. So you will have, we're going to start seeing a lot more cultural restaurant, like authentic um, Venezuelan restaurant or authentic Ethiopian restaurant. We're going to start seeing a lot more of that. And we're going to also see probably more concept of tasting menu, you know, because it's, it's going it, to, we're evolving so fast. That's cool. And you have been there for, oh, what, a dozen years in Oklahoma City? I've been, I've been here now for 15 years. 15 years. You know, I used, yeah, I used to work at the Peabody in Memphis, Tennessee, and I wanted to go back to Paris. And then I got a call to come and open a hotel down here. And I'm like, hell no, where is that? <laughs> you know, but I eventually said yes. And I tell myself well, I was only going to do a year. And here I am, you know, going in 16 years. And I'm here because of the people. The nicest set of people are here in Oklahoma City. Well, that's that's great. You know, I've only well, been to Oklahoma City once. I was there for a uh, one summer in college. I was selling Cutco Cutlery door to door. And, okay. <laughs> and there was a regional conference in Oklahoma City. So gonna... Right. We took a road well, in Denver to Oklahoma City. Well, I'm taking the liberty of inviting you back to Oklahoma City, okay? Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm serious. <laughs> I, I know you are. I, I believe you. Um, so, but let's talk about your two restaurants. You have Gray Sweater, you got Black Walnut, and you also had La Baguette, right? Yes. Yeah, so we're moving La Baguette. La Baguette is a French patisserie that has been in my business partner um family for years think 30 34 years and so you know um he's we're going to move it to another location and extend this location to private dining room because black walnut gets so busy so we need that space of private dining room um you might black walnut what is black walnut you know black walnut is an eclectic restaurant that is a neighborhood restaurant my name is andrew black the restaurant is located in Fourth and Walnut. So it's like Black Walnut. Right. <laughs> you know? So it, that was easy. But the menu is based on your mood. When you wake up this morning, you ask yourself one way or another, what do you want to eat this morning? What do you want to eat for lunch? What do you want to eat for dinner? It's all mood. Everyone eats based on their mood. And so the menu is not designed on appetizer, entree, one. It's designed on your mood. Are you in the mood for fresh and light, uh, roast or salty and sour or whatever? And that's how the menu is, is composed. And, you know, the cocktails, I didn't want to get in the everybody tell you how to do your craft cocktail. What I wanted to do is to get into street cocktails from around the world. I'm from Jamaica. Mm -hmm. And I remember my dad would take overproof rum hibiscus, pimento, and it fermented all the way to December. And that's what we drink. And then I, and so it dawned upon me in every less fortune village in the world, there's a homemade cocktail. It sure is. So we did our research and just look at um, places around the world that we wanted to go in and take our vision of doing a cocktail. So that's what that is, a fun restaurant. It's it's a restaurant that is like you're in Chicago or New York, a bit louder and everybody laughing, hugging, having a good time. So that restaurant is fun. And now I'm working on another restaurant called the Gilded Acorn. And Gilded Acorn is located in First National Building, which is a historic building, over 109 years old building, just renovated and just opened to the world last week, I think. So we're going to open this restaurant up probably mid-summer, somewhere off there. And what it is, um, I've always wanted to build a restaurant based on a Tiffany in New York. Tiffany. Where everything is gifted. Every, yeah, like it's just gifted. And so this restaurant is a patisserie. But when you go in from the macaroon to the chocolate and everything, they're in this perfect gift box. When your sandwich comes out, it's in this nicely rubbed gift you know so and then we do high tea and champagne in that restaurant good coffee program all that stuff so working on that restaurant right now to launch pretty soon 
And First National, that was a bank, it sounds like. It was a bank. And so my, I don't do justice talking about this building, but I'm going to tell you the little I know or the little I remember because there's so much rich history to this place. Right now, it was one of the most anticipated building to open because it has been shut down for years. And so back in the days when this bank was open, bank was getting robbed every day. Mm. But they built this bank in a sense where it would never get robbed. Whoever tried would be, I mean, on the, on the second floor, there was machine gun all around it. You, you should do me a favor. You should really spend some time and just Google this thing and look it up. It's, it's the most beautiful building. There's only five buildings like this in America after they did their research. So it's a very special place. Well, and the fact that it's a former bank means the Gilded Acorn makes sense because... Exactly. See, you get it. Yeah. You, you get it right off the back. Yeah. Awesome. That many people get that right away. Oh. <laughs> Put an acorn in gold. Yeah. There you go. Food. Yep. So, so back to, to Black Walnut, what are some of the dishes that you really like to serve there that are really popular among your customers? Whatever. Tell me about it. Well, I... I tell you what, right? I'll give you a little story. We opened Black Walnut, right? And we're busy. And this lady said, where's the chef? And uh, the wait staff said, hey, uh, there's somebody out there need to someone said, what is it I always say? If a guest want to see me, bring them in the kitchen. It's my office. So I don't know this lady from nowhere, right? The lady walked in and said, chef, you're messing with me. I said, what are you talking about? She said, you gave me these English cut beef ribs, but then, and I loved it. And then you serve ush puppy on the plate with it. And I'm really in love. But then you put a kale apple slaw salad with the same plate on it. She's like, what is this guy's nuts? She said, I try to push it on the side, but I take a little bite. And that's when I knew I want to marry this person. <laughs> So what I'm trying to say is like, it's playful, thoughtful food that just makes you feel it's surprising, but it's like in a good way. You know, it's like the fried quail with the green tomato jam, you know, but then we serve you some ranch dressing on the side out of a bottle. And we did that deliberately because we're like, Calm down a little. You're going to love this dish, but dip it in that too. You'll be fine. <laughs> you know? So it's, it's stuff like that, you know? <laughs> well, and I would think that uh, quail and a, you said it was a, a green tomato. Twitter, yeah, jam, yeah. Green tomato jam. So then you want something kind of zippy and zingy and creamy to go with it. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Or yeah. you got <laughs> You got some beef, you got some hush puppies. You want something right. acidic to go with it, obviously. Yeah, you know. We have this branzina that is served in a lobster tea and, um, and saffron couscous. And, uh, served in a lobster just, tea, you said. Yeah, oh yeah. So you know, what, and, what, what's a lobster tea? So we take the lobster bone, of course, and we roast to make a really good traditional lobster stock. But then when that is finished, we pull it out and reduce with lemongrass, kefir, lime leaf. Uh -huh. And once and once we reduce those all the way down, build that flavor. And so we use it as a sauce with the couscous. I gotcha. So do, do yeah. you actually cook the couscous or, or heat the couscous in the in the no, what we do, we cook the couscous separate, right? And the couscous, once, once we take, cook that couscous, we strain it and we saute that with saffron again, craisin, and a lot of cilantro on a lot of lime. And then add the lobster tea to that. Right, yeah. So it's really bright and fresh. Sounds great. Yeah. And, and then you have sort of the, I think it's the flagship, Grace Wetter, 47 Yes. You go in, you're there for the night. And so what, do you, do you customize the menu for every guest or you do it every day? Or how do you, how do you figure out what to serve there since there are no limits? It's all right. So, so when you make the reservation, right? We're standard. You can choose from a five course, a seven course 
or a 10 course. Those menu are already built in grave and everything. So we, it's not for, we don't choose it like you come in, you get it. If you're done in a party at five, you all have to get the same course. Mm-hmm. You know, it makes sense. Everybody can't, you five, you 10, you, it, it can't work that way. Yeah. So that's how it's customized. And um, when you come in, you already know which course you're having. And we already know which course you're having because we do that interview process and ask you which course you want to afford that night, which one you want to choose from. Well, and I assume that also helps you save on uh, food costs because you know exactly how much you have to make every day. Absolutely. 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 Do you have customers who who are... Like, well, I like this idea, but can you change it and do it like this? So this is this is sort of a... Uh, do, yeah, they will try that, but we don't do that. And here's why. <laughs> you ever, you, you ever, I'm sure you use your GPS, right? Mm-hmm. And you're going from lo- one location to another location. When you get off on the wrong location, what is that? Reroute. Right. Okay. So when you come to this restaurant and you sign up for a 10 course and you're trying to ask me to do something else with it. It's not what I want to do because then you're getting an experience that it's not what the journey and the story I want to tell. Right. So you need to stay on your lane. Mm-hmm. Um, we do a lot of vegan. We do a lot of you, any ology you name, we do. Any ology you name it, we do it. So is that part of the interview process that they say, I don't eat this, I can't have that? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. That's how that works. That's why the interview process is, you know, the, the, is so important for us. Mm-hmm. It's, so, it's called a ghost whisperer. The person who calls you and interview you is the most important person on our team. Because if that person don't capture everything, then we're screwed. Right. Because once the guests come into the restaurant, that's it. That's it. Dinner is about that. Yeah. Then it's about to happen. And, you know, this is a place where when somebody thinks they're coming to Grace where all kind of expectation and imagination and curiosity start to go off in the head. So we have some dishes where we just drop it in front of you and walk away. We don't even talk to you. And the guests might, my God, they're rude. But we're timing you. So when you're halfway through the course, plus we tell you to use your hand. So when we halfway through the course and come back and tell you about the dish, they're like, holy shit, I can't believe this was what it is. You know, and that's what it is, a fun place. It's not a stuffy place. Everything is done on a high level. Um, I mean, we can go through the room without even talking to each other, all the staff, because everything is done on a hand signal. Mm-hmm. So it's very, like, spectacular. It's just everything, yeah. So what are some dishes that you've prepared lately that you would like to tell me about at Grace Butter? Um, so, you know, we, we have a dish that is on the menu now since we open, and it's kind of one of our, okay, this is dishes here, and it's a turnip. You know, the turnip, we, and I can't give you all the recipe and formula for how we do it and everything, right. of course, but it's a dish where we take this turnip and we sous it for hours, hours. And then we serve it with a particular sauce we call a sous sauce, right? But when it comes out to you, we, I grew up in um, Jamaica in the Indian family. Mm-hmm. So I remember us used to take coconut and make what we call a chutney. So we kind of go around of making a muddled coconut, meaning we take the coconut with garlic, cilantro, lots of lime and pure just very pure olive oil, little salt, little pepper, and a little, um, a little jalapeno, a little um, habanero pepper in it also. So we grind that until it becomes so smooth. And on top of this little turnip sits a little quinelle on it. And I got to tell you, it's the match and perfect combination. That's just, it happens. And every time a guest eat it, they're like, what, what what is going on in my mouth right now? You so know? the the, the canal is the coconut with the cilantro and yeah the- yeah it's just muddled on top of it yes yeah 
And they're like, it's a very, wow. very, very unique dish. And people are like, I just spent all this money and you're giving me a turnip. But in and, fact, well, yes. And you know what they said? I didn't know I love turnip, but no, I know I love turnip. I'm in love. Turnips are delicious. <laughs> Turnips are delicious, you know. And so for us, that dish took us over three months, but we knew if you were going to sit down and we were going to drop you something and walk away, it better be the goddamn best one. Right. <laughs> you know? Otherwise, we'll be nailed to the cross. <laughs> so right. we're like, yeah, here you go. <laughs> uh, well, so. what's, what's another dish that you're, you ha- have served um, that you're serving tonight? Well, we're close tonight, but like for tomorrow night, um, I think, let me see. I think tomorrow night we have, um, I think from New York coming to us, we use a, there's a farm up there or a company up there that we get a couple of things from. So we're going to do, we have the scallops coming in tomorrow and we have the, the Kaluga caviar that is coming to us from a company that we use. So we're going to do the, and we have Huni. So we're going to make a vanilla, vanilla and huni sauce. We're going to sear the scallops just in one side. We cook it in a bermonte, and then we serve it on that and just a lot of good kaluga caviar on top of it. It's the perfect saltiness, sweetness combination together that we're going to do. Sounds awesome. Yeah. And, and so, so you get stuff from all over the world. And all you, over. All over. And you might have heard, Andrew, that there are some supply chain issues globally so (laughs) so so how are you coping with that you know that is the hard part so i've been in this business for a long time i've met a lot of good friends and so when we get to that point like now i'm calling up a lot of chefs i'm calling up a lot of supply and they're even sending me like lists and who is getting what so how this works at three in the morning sometime, I'll be on my phone, video chatting, the beauty of Zoom, and I'm seeing product in what is from Japan, what is from Paris coming to America. And sometime they'll tell me, who is it for? And said, hey, do you want to jump on this order? Because if you do, I can get it cheaper, right? So I get a lot of my product like that. It's a modern technology now. And sometimes it's just not there. I remember we ordered this um, pork, this milk-fed pork from um, Canada. And we got it, and it was excellent. And we ordered it for a function in Great Sweden, and it was no good at all. So we have to stand that loss and rechange right on the fly. So we have a lot of that happen, but then there are products coming, and you're like, oh, my God. You know, there's, once you start working with a farmer or a fishmonger, or what is the guy upstate New York that has snail caviar and you build that relationship and you know the product, then you know what's your guarantee to get. So it takes time when you approach those person at first, but as long as the relationship going on, then they know you, you know, and if anything comes on you, they'll call you and say, hey, chef, here's what we got coming in. You know, so get you excited. So it's, it's those communication and those uh, relationships in times like this that helps out so you just said snail caviar is that right yeah what oh, is absolutely it? what is it um it's little white pearls and so um there's a guy in upstate new york i don't remember which one to say but he raised these things and when you bite into them you're tasting carrots and herbs literally literally and it, it's just so amazing yeah and it's little teeny tiny snails? Little tiny snails. And they're like little tiny white pearls. Wow. It's beautiful, yeah. And, and you can taste exactly what the snails were fed. Oh, absolutely. I, it, it blows your mind away. You'll never think that, but it does. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, so, Andrew, what is your favorite part of your job? You know, it's looking at the, the opportunity that we have provided for others. You know, we, we're a humble group. We're a white canvas that we question everything about us. We're curious. And with that white canvas, we get to empower freedom of just curiosity around here. Everyone has a voice to create and question what we create. 
And that's a beautiful thing. So many times I used to work at a place where you don't have that opportunity. So we're very set in creating an opportunity where artists can come at a, come to the table and be creative. It's not just about me. It's not about just about the next person beside me. It's about everyone. And, you know, the big picture is the more we get our voice, the more we grow our voice or echo our voice and people listen to us, then the more we get to give back for kids in need and the community. That's very big for us is giving back and growing a community, growing, growing the, the ones who are interested in the service industry, especially now people are leaving the service industry. And it's our job and everyone's job in the community and the service industry to do the right thing. So that's the part that I really love, giving back and making sure the people around me are having a better lifestyle, making more money to take care of their family. So what is your kitchen crew like? It's hard to find good cooks these days, but it sounds like you found some. It's, it's very hard. You know, I'll tell you what. So I had a, I had a restaurant called Meatball House a couple of years ago in Norman, where Ohio, where Hoyu is. And this, this restaurant just beat me up. Mm-hmm. It bad. Like you can't make money on a dollar beer with college kids. And I had this one guy came to me from the pizza house next door and started working. And we were on a low budget, a tiny kitchen, man. I mean, you couldn't, if you, you, you couldn't breathe in that. It was so tiny. But this gentleman, I'd stand by him every day, make meatball, listen heavy metal music. I go home, my head is hurting. And I'm like, my God, but what do I do? You know, I never judge him. Just great guy, silent guy. One day I said to him, man, I make this sauce, but I've been tasting all morning. Can you taste this? And he just off reeling off stuff that he think needed to be in the sauce. And I stopped and I looked at him. I said, you have something that people train to develop for years. You're going to go big places. Well, I'll tell you what, um, years later, he's now my executive sous chef in gray sweater. <laughs> right? Just like that. So, so you know, heavy metal music. Yeah, oh, he still listens to it. Sometimes, like last week, his name is Dylan at Morgan. And last week he said to me, the music wasn't playing in here. He said, hey, you want me to play my music? I'm like, absolutely not. <laughs> yeah, you, you know, can have good. different taste in music and still work together. Right? Oh, yeah, but absolutely just great. So I have people like that, like Dylan. Um, we have people who leave jobs that was paying them more and come to us because the opportunity of learning and what I'm trying to do. You know, um, I said to Dylan the other day, I said, do you realize you run a restaurant that has been nominated in James Beard? I did, did that cross your mind at all? So it, it's just such a great thing going on. It's hard to find people. And it's really, it's not easy to work in this room either. And here's why, because we're so meticulous, you know? The napkins change out two times throughout your meal. The glass has to be measured, put on the table. Not everybody is built for that. That's why we hire based on three things. Empathy, integrity, and the will to be better today than yesterday. Those are the three things we hire based on. Because if you have those, then we're good. Right. You can teach them whatever specific skill as long as they have exactly. the character to, to do it. Yeah, exactly. So... We're just grateful. Great thing, great things going on. And right now, we haven't reached, we haven't left off yet. We haven't scratched the iceberg yet. And that is what's so good about us. We're so humble and we're in need and keep seeking for more. Because we know how we're cooking now is not how we're going to be cooking the next year. We're always going to be evolving. That's always. great. Yeah. And, and you said you also like to give back to your community. Are there particular um, organizations or groups that, that you like to support? Um, you know, we have a group right now. We're we teed up with and supporting them. And what it is, it's a group of kids. I met this lady. I've always, it's crazy that it's come along because I came from negative zero. And so I've always knew that giving back would be my path. 
And I've been looking for the right charity, the right place to start giving back to. And then I met somebody introduced me to this lady who's a big time lawyer that gave up her practice and moved to Oklahoma to start helping kids that are in illiteracy, you know, in need. And it's just like, oh my God, this is just, so we just tried to formulate that where we can do fundraising, take that as a, be the champion of them and just really go out there and celebrate them and help in every way we can. Because, you know, people say all the time, they are our future, but I think we say it lightly because it's supposed to be said. However, it's, we really got to zoom in on it. You know, just as though we zoom in on protecting the future of the land and the world, recycle and everything. Man, we just got to really start really taking that even more seriously about how do we help these kids? You know, um, we, I look at operating restaurant, restaurant different. Um, I don't think in today's world, restaurant got out, should be operated out. It's standard used to, and I'll tell you why, when the pandemic hit, you know, we, we had at least seven different um, suicidal cases and because the pandemic hit them so hard. Right. And it dawned upon me that, hey, we need to start hiring therapists. We need to start, see how we can get people to work less, but still make the same money. You know, how do we, so there's a lot on our plate right now. We're very focused right now how do we run the place like it's Fortune 500 company in a good way? You know, we don't need to be pirates anymore. We don't need to work 300 hours a freaking week anymore. Nobody wants that anymore. You know, nobody needs to be laughed at because they said they're tired. You know, it doesn't mean you're weak. So there's a lot of things we're looking on right now to do and just start a program. I started, I, I started in the kitchen young. How do we get youngsters to start deciding, hey, you know what? This is what I'd want to do. Because at the rate we were going, we almost killed everyone. Right. So that's big for us right now. Now, you, you said you started at negative zero, right? You came from a poor Indo-Jamaican family, right? Yeah, you know, and it's always said to people, it's not, for me, it's not a pity story. It's a great story. And I don't like, I don't like the word poor. It's more of a, we just didn't have what we thought we needed to. Because when I look back now, shit, I was very rich. Because you know what? I didn't know the word organic. I didn't know what farm to table was. I didn't know what butchering a pig at a young age would be. But now I look back and I'm like, my God, I grew up with all of that. I grew up eating healthy, fresh milk, just come out of the cow, all those things. You know? right. And here I am now. So when I see restaurants sometimes are really amazed about juicing a sugar cane and shaving ice and making a cocktail, I'm like, Oh, yeah, that's how I grew up. Right. That's what we call poor. Right. <laughs> you know? That's what we call poor. When I see a, a restaurant now going to take the, the pig brain and you know, flour it and quick flash fry it and, oh, this is a delicacy, I'm like, yeah, that's poor people food. That's what we used to eat because we, we couldn't eat the good part. Right. <laughs> you know? So it's, it made me very aware of... Um, Growing up in Jamaica, how I grew up, made me very aware of um, the story of food, so to speak. Mm -hmm. it, it was given to me, to me at a very young age. It was given to me and I didn't even know. But now I look back, I realize I'm very familiar with a lot of all those things. Yeah. Because you guys used to pull it out of the ground and put it on a plate, and that was that. Ex exactly, that was that. You know, we we kill the goat today. We eat the goat today. Right. <laughs> the only right. time you get to have goat is when you kill exactly it. fermentation. My God, I was fermentation. I was in fermentation for a long time. I didn't even know because right. we didn't have we didn't have like a a fridge to to cool things or keep it for weeks. So we fermented everything, a lot of salt and a lot of berries and herbs. That's what we cured our pork in. Little did I know what I was doing. 
Right. You didn't yeah. know you were, you were an artisanal craftsman. <laughs> exactly. I didn't know that. You know, yeah, you were. So, but then yeah. you clearly also had formal culinary training. How did, how did that happen? You know, um, I, left, I left home really young. And so I walked into this hotel, Buscabel Beach Hotel. I just always curious what's out there. Walked in there, worked for two years for free. I was cleaning fridges, juicing in oranges. They used to call me a schoolboy, the kitchen porter. And so that's schoolboy. Schoolboy. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And it all started in that hotel, Buscabel Beach Hotel. It's still dear to my heart. And so, you know, after working there for years, two years for free, and then they started paying me. Then the HR and everybody is responsible for my career until today. You know, it started there. They sent me to school to study. And I just never, it's been an uprise ever since. Yeah. So, you know, I've been blessed to work all over. A um, little time in Paris at uh, Turks and Caicos for Sanders. Um, Columbus, Ohio. Memphis, Tennessee. I can go on and on and on and on. Yeah. So it has been, it has been, it has been a good ride. Uh, I'm very blessed. I've never had a bad job. And I still have good relationship with everyone I worked for, you know. So it, it's been a really good ride. And I know in myself, there's a lot more to come bigger and better. We haven't taken off as yet. Well, I am excited to see what else you, you're doing in Oklahoma City. Yeah. I'll, have to, I'll have to find my way there and, and we can Absolutely. see in person. Absolutely. I would love that. Um, you know, it's... We, we won all these things, these award and, you know, hometown hero and everything. And everyone comes to me and I'm like, man, I remember sitting with you and you said, you're going to do this. You're going to do this. You're going to do that. And I said, I got to tell you, some of it, I got lost, but here you are. You're accomplishing. You know, it's, and it's, it's the people. You cannot accomplish without having the right people around you. You have to make hard decisions. You have to be honest, fair, and firm. And so I've been blessed to have the real good people around me. And with that will come a lot more. It's just the beginning. Well, what, you know, what I've seen is that usually when people are blessed to have good people around them, it's because they are, they're good people themselves. And so they attract the people that, that are like them. And so nice going chef. Good shit. Good, good deal. Good. Andrew Black, it was a pleasure meeting you, and I hope this is one of many conversations that we will have going forward.